When you start investing in stocks, you seek investment advice. When you seek investment advice, you go to the Internet. When you go to the Internet, you start believing all the wacky correlations spouted by armchair analysts. Sell, 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 sell. When you start believing those wacky correlations, you start buying and selling stocks based on butter production in Bangladesh. When you start buying and selling stocks based on butter production in Bangladesh, you offend your lactose intolerant girlfriend, who in turn moves out. When your girlfriend moves out, you can't afford rent on your own because all your money is tied up in the stock market. When you can't afford rent on your own, you become homeless and alone. Thank you. Don't become homeless and alone. Get rid of financial advice from armchair analysts and upgrade to Money Talks. This is Money Talks. We're back. You're listening to Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon here with Jacob Keene and Dr. Roger Tuttero. And we got lots of other things to talk about in regard to economics and government and that sort of thing. So where were we? Well, um, I mean, we were kind of going back and forth talking about... Uh, Fed policy. Uh, yeah. I mean, every... every you look at it. You you kind of look at it in a in a vacuum, or you know, given current conditions, and you're like, yeah, rates should be much higher from here. But I think one of the issues that we have right now is there's so much leverage in the system that that at a certain point it starts to start it starts to uh, uh, reverse. You start to force the deleveraging in the corporate sector. That that how how do you feel about that, Roger? I mean, well, I, I'm looking at I'm I'm looking at some of these these corporate uh, corporate credit levels, you know, right. the debt issuance that we've seen throughout this cycle. I mean, we're getting to levels that we haven't been before. Do you think Do you think that uh, I mean, the Fed's talking about what's what's our star at now? Two eight, something like that. Yeah, and, I, I guess I, I have a couple comments on the credits. I mean, first off. We talk about the yield curve. I also like to look at the spread between corporate bond yields and treasuries, essentially a proxy for how much default risk yep. the market sees out there. And it really hasn't widened hardly at all between AAAs and corporate and treasuries and only a tiny amount between BAAs and treasuries. So, so far, at least the bond market doesn't appear to be that worried about negotiable securities. Uh, most of the bankers are very aware of the fact that when you start raising interest rates, the ability of companies to service their debt can become impaired. And they have typically, as part of their asset liability management, they stress test their loan portfolios for 100, 300 basis point moves in the level of rates, and including steepening and flattening the yield curve. I guess where the concern out there is now is over the levered loan market, you know, which tends to be credits uh, or uh, credit ex extended to companies that are already carrying a lot of debt. And typically, these are loans that are very uh, attractively priced for the lender. And so there's where I think the concern is over, over potential increases in defaults. Yeah, I was going to say, when you get down closer to the speculative right. grades, we have seen a bit more of a spread widening. Right. Um, but if you think about what's gone on in the last few years, really back to your point about having such low interest rates, um, it, it, it's the CFO's job generally to get the corporation to the lowest uh, weighted average cost of capital. And, and we know that equity costs are significantly higher than debt costs. Mm. And when you have debt costs that look even lower by comparison, you know, from, from years gone by, uh, it's not surprising to see that companies are borrowing money, sure. buying back their shares, which this has been a huge trend. 
Well, it's gotten, it, it, we've talked about it here in the last few weeks, where it's gotten to the point where you look at uh, price to earnings and, uh, and measure the market by that relative to its historicals, and it looks pretty attractive at the moment relative to what we've seen over the last 10 years. Yeah, typically when you see companies buying back their stock, it's either one of three arguments. One is, as you're saying, they're changing their capital structure, they're right. borrowing money and paying off equity to lever up in general. Uh, one is that they look at their stock, they look at how they believe they will generate earnings going forward, and they believe their stock is undervalued versus what it, they will be able to generate sure. in terms of cash. And and then, of course, you know the other opportunity is that if they look around and they don't see a lot of other real investment opportunities in the economy, right. buying back their own stock essentially generates um, an, an implied return for the shareholders. Right. So, And you're right to say implied because what we look at, if you look at price to book right now, uh, or price to EBITDA, rather. Right. Um, it looks still uh, significantly higher than, than we've seen it in a long time. It's about somewhere between 26 and 27% above its long-term average. Right. When you look at uh, price to sales, which, again, is not going to be impacted by any of those moves in financing, mm-hmm. it looks 26 to 27% higher than its long-term average. So, uh, it's hard to say. I really do blame it on a low interest rate environment, uh, which makes me not fault the the corporate actors for doing what they've done. But right. at the same time, as an analyst, I look at things outside just the price to earnings ratio, and it gives me a little bit of a cause for fear. You know that that uh, you know we we still I th- I think that there's a lot of investors out there that are that are really more focused on the price-to-earnings ratio and not so much the calls behind what has gotten us back to that uh, level that's relatively near. It's still a little bit higher than the long-term average, which is 16.55 on a price-to-earnings ratio. We're around 18. Um, So, you know, you can tell there's a bit of a premium, but it's still, you know, a little bit unsettling when I look deeper. And I I think... I think that's definitely a symptom. I, I think you've kind of got these these two things at play. One of the things that that I've seen, and I'd be interested to hear your take on this, Roger, is if you if you overlay population growth with rates, the correlation is is very very strong. And we're getting to a period where we're having lower population growth, so you would expect lower rates. But I think I think when 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 you when you think when you think like a, a finance guy. I mean, you're thinking hurdle rates, right? If you slam the hurdle rate low enough, then you're, you're, you're crowding the capital markets with this easy money, and it doesn't give the opportunity for other actors that, that have potentially better growth opportunities to, to raise that capital that are riskier. It doesn't take people it, – it, it doesn't give those projects the same financing because everyone's able to make this easy return on capital because the cost of capital is so low. Yeah, I, you know, I've talked to, to bankers for quite a few years now, and I still, I, I've been waiting on this for the last three or four years, but I haven't seen huge, um, at least they haven't seen, or at least the ones that I talk to, uh, haven't seen huge demand for for uh, borrowing. I guess people right. are going more to the public markets, uh, at least the big publicly traded corporations, but bank lending still seems to be somewhat muted. Yeah, most bankers would tell you the loan demand is not where they would have expected for being this far into an expansion. Uh, I will tell you that, you know, community banks historically have ex- extended a lot of credit to home builders, for example, and uh, that a lot of a lot of the builders and developers I talked to are still using private 
private money sources. And by that, I mean the hard money lenders and private right. equity funds sure. as opposed to traditional bank lenders. A lot of private equity funds. I've heard right. that, too, yeah. uh, which, which kind of leaves us sitting here wondering, I mean, if, if low rates are supposed to make that happen, well, I guess just the, the alternative players have been what have soaked up the demand uh, for the lending, and the, the banks are sitting there scratching their heads. Yeah, but in defense of the banks, though, I mean, most banks would tell you that the last couple of years have been pretty good. They're finally seeing net interest margins widen somewhat. They're finally getting their return on equities, uh, not back where they were before the Great Recession because they're carrying more capital. And as you know, if you carry more capital, you're slightly less levered than the same return on assets would support a lower ROE. That's a uh, regulatory requirement, too. That's right, right the, the so-called Basel III rule. Yeah. Um, and even if you don't directly apply the, the, the letter of the rule, it certainly culturally affected the amount of capital banks carry. Yeah, but in the meantime, let's talk a little bit about government shutdown. Seems like there's no end in sight to this. Uh, we've uh, circled the wagons, but then we've got some... Uh, Factions that are trying to, to uh, get parties riled up at the leaders and, and uh, one go one direction, one another. Uh, but really, there's been very little or no um, real Bickering. movement. It's, it's, it's really just fighting, right? It's just He's, I'm not giving you the money. and Yeah, never confuse can, policy like and politics. They're very different, right? And this oh, is pure right. politics. Um you know, here's what I would say. I mean, this week it came out that the, the uh, White House analysts had slightly increased what they estimate as being the cost for economic growth from the shutdown. But I guess I would um, – I, I think the bigger potential uh, issue out there is whether it further undermines confidence Main Street America has in Washington. And we just got the University of Michigan consumer sentiment numbers for the month of December, and they were pretty good. Right. Uh, we're, we've held most of the – uh, post-November 16 surge in consumer confidence still remains in place. The problem is, you know, we'll start getting the preliminary reads on the January sentiment pretty quickly here. Right. And at that point, we'll be going from a, a couple-day shutdown to one that is clearly now, at least by the book, you know, the longest. Um, uh, so we'll see. I mean, but another good example is that the, the, the amount of media coverage of the shutdown certainly doesn't help. Right. Um, when, when you're Delta Airlines, you don't need additional stories about uh, how long the wait is, even for the TSA-approved people. Because I think if you're a rational person and you're flying three or somewhere that you can drive in five or six hours, you're probably not going to fly if you think you have a two-hour wait to clear security. Yeah, just as well hop in the car and go yourself. Uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, that you, you pointed at, the 0.1% every two weeks has been shortened now to 0.1% of GDP every week. Um, you know, you're slowing down. And then you made comment on uh, consumer sentiment. I think a lot of what's going on with consumer sentiment in December, we saw uh, where personal income was uh, up like 3.1%, mm -hmm. and you got inflation at 2.1%. The consumer feels a bit wealthier. Right. The prices aren't rising as fast as their income. So uh, what's funny to me, I guess it's not funny, it's understandable at this point, uh, the you've got the what is it current situation versus the expectations right uh, is part of that uh, sentiment and the current expect or the current situation has always been better at least lately than what we expect down the pike so yeah there's five questions that drive the Michigan sentiment index two of them are related to current conditions things right. like are you better off or worse off than a year ago good or bad buying times and three of them are forward looking uh, the forward looking ones are actually the component 
or subcomponent of the Michigan Sentiment Index that is one of the ten leading economic indicators, uh, with the argument being expectations about the economy will drive actual behavior. But the interesting part to me is that the given all the volatility we had in the equity markets right. uh, in November and December, that we did still see the, the confidence numbers come in pretty good. Because I think there was a lot of expectation that the volatility in the stock market would cause consumers to be depressed, and evidently that's not the case. Yeah, I wonder how many of them are invested at this point. Right. Well, that's a good point too. Makes you wonder, right? Right. Which, which also, you know, I don't want to don't pull us off topic too much, but one of the things I know that, you know, that from the beginning the Hensler's been good about is making arguments for people to get in, invest for the long term. Sure. How hard it is to talk to talk time the markets, and once again, this is an example. Had you sold out after several weeks of volatility with a downward drift and not gotten right back in, you would have missed some of the recovery. Yeah, pretty and that, significant recovery. Yeah, and that's 10%. always the problem. I mean, and we, we talked about this in 2008 when the market corrected, is the folks that got out, they got out toward the bottom, and they didn't get back in, and they missed a lot of the recovery. Yeah, that's uh, that's not off topic at all. If you ask me, uh, we're talking about uh, really we what we encourage is the 10-year rule. That's a, mm-hmm. a longer – it's it's basically a longer-term – um, investment approach, at least for your equities. Any money that's not needed within the next 10 years should be in equities. If you've got a financial plan and you know your consumption needs out of your savings, uh, we recommend you put it in the bond market where it's uh, can be a little volatile, but volatility in the bond market relative to volatility in the equities market is hardly uh, measurably rel- measurable relative to the the other. So, uh, very low volatility, your money's generally uh, going to be uh, safe there. And again, you know, that's what we talk about a lot. Well, let's uh, turn the page a little bit then and talk about the trade war with China. There's been quite a bit of news uh, surrounding that. I think I've seen some uh, estimates that uh, there are folks that are kind of expecting that our our uh, economic summit in Davos mm-hmm. The Swiss uh, meeting that we have is in January, February. It's coming up in the next few weeks. Um, there are those that believe that that's going to be the backdrop for the announcement that, hey, we got things worked out and all's well. Have you heard any of that? Well, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's if I've learned one thing about President Trump, it's that he's not always very predictable, and uh, <laughs> and that may that may actually be that may be part of his uh, part of his strategy. I think, you know, t- on Thursday, of course, this week, we did get some, at least a rumor, that you were going to see some of the tariffs reduced uh, in an effort to perhaps move everybody toward getting a broader trade deal. Uh, we'll see what comes out of all that. Uh, but I do think that um, what, what President Trump is trying to do is use tariffs as the stick to get a trade deals that he thinks are fair to American businesses. And, you know, I am a pretty adamant free market guy and a pretty adamant free trader. But, you know, we want fair trade as well. And, right. um, you know, I've been t- been sharing with people, I'm putting on my economic theorist hat, we have an idea called the theory of the second best in microeconomics, which says if you have multiple sources of distortion in a system, that removing one source doesn't necessarily make you better off. And so I think you can make the case that if you already have other trade distortions, sometimes maybe putting tariffs in there and changing the negotiations that way, you know, may not necessarily be a bad bad strategy. Yeah. And and. From what I've seen is there's uh, there's two two main um, advisors to the to the president on this. You've got Lighthizer and you got Nuchin, and it seems to me that the Nuchin camp he's he's trying to he's trying to push for rolling back these tariffs 
showing some concessions and, and maybe that'll bring China to the table. And Lighthizer, he's coming off where he was, it seems like. But it's, it seemed to me from what I was reading initially that he wanted to get China to China to make these reforms and then show that they're going to put those in place because his argument was we've done deals with China before. They say they're going to do something. They don't do it. Keep the tariffs on until right, after right. they show they're going to do it. It seems like he's coming off that a, a bit. So it seems like the consensus as far as the policy is getting closer. I don't know what where they're going to arrive upon. But, I mean, there's they're they're moving towards – I think don't don't they also have a, a, an official meeting with uh, the uh, Chinese? Um, yeah, the um, Vice Premier Li, Liu He. Isn't that March first? Uh, they were saying within the, later this month, but uh, it could I'm, be I'm saying an exclusive meet. It's just U.S. and China. Oh well, it very well might be. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, well, here's the thing. And that's they, where the extension runs through. It does right? seem like there is some some talks. We're we're right. not just a stalemate. And there's, I think there's I, discussion. I think one of the advantages that that the U.S. has in in these discussions is the U.S. economy is doing better than the Chinese economy. It is. Right. Yeah. You're right. not seeing the slowing. And, sure. and of course, when we talk about these trade deals, this rumor it's not just about um, you know tariffs. I mean, respect for intellectual property. That's and, major. And the rule of law is a big part of the difference. Yep. And you can't and and, and at the level playing field in terms of having uh, joint ventures. And so I think we need to say. China, if you want to be part of the, and they of course are a dominant player in, in the global economy, but if you want if you want to play with, we need to play fair and we need to respect right. intellectual property. Yeah, well, not only that, they're talking about opening up their financial markets as well, which right. uh, definitely, if you're going to be looked at as a as a major national player, you would expect uh, that some of that's going to have to change. You're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.